This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by our friends at KaijuLive.shop. Stay tuned later on in the episode to learn more about the awesome folks at Kaiju Live and what they have to offer to you, our faithful Kaiju Weekly listeners. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Michael. I'm hungry. You're hu- I thought you just ate. I'm, but I'm still hungry, though. <laughs> but I'm still, I'm still hungry, though. Like they, it's like you, you, you eat... And then it's like it's like you eat, and then you still want something else. But this time, the the something that I want is something sweet. And I'm intentionally not having sweets in the house, so that I don't like get like I don't like eat too many sweets. If that makes sense, I know I'm saying sweets a lot, but I really Excuse want me something while I sweet. I open this uh, Hershey's bar with almonds uh, that I have sitting on my desk. Okay, um, yeah. See, that's that's <laughs> insensitive, Travis. I'm offended. I quit. <laughs> Oh man, how are you doing besides being hungry? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. I just I just really want something sweet. Like I had um I had like I had like a really savory meal and now I just want something sweet. But I'm in, like it like I'm intentionally not keeping sweets in the house because I don't want to like just eat a bunch of sugar. And it's it's it sucks. <laughs> See, for me like I can keep a ton of sweets in the house because i do not like sweets like my family really yeah they my family likes a lot of sweets and they'll keep a bunch of candy and and sweets and stuff in the house and i won't touch them because i'm just not a big fan of sweets um this hershey's bar i it's probably gonna sit here for a while because i don't really uh i i I like it every once in a while but just i don't have a big sweet tooth um my girth that i have is all from uh just fried foods uh fried foods is my weakness (laughs) (laughs) you know i do have a sweet tooth in fact i probably have too big of a sweet tooth because and i get it from my dad because my dad had a sweet tooth like we always kept sweets in the house like cookies, cakes. I, his big thing was ice cream, and so like I have, I have, uh, I have this thing about ice cream. I love ice cream, uh, but I can't keep ice cream in the house because I will literally sit and eat an entire carton of ice cream if given the opportunity. My favorite is uh, what is it? What is it? Oh, 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 um, um, moose tracks. I love moose tracks ice cream. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the now peanut butter and the hungry. brownies and the chocolate. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but how are you, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. I'm ready to get into this episode because we're talking about a couple of fantastic movies that I have been looking forward to talk about for a while. So, uh, yeah, if we're ready to get into the episode, let's start with the news. All right. Let's cue the beady beady. <laughs> and really, the only news we have this week is just a lot of 
collectible and figure news outside of one thing which is uh we have a new godzilla pinball machine uh from stern (laughs) pinball i think is the name of the company they have this godzilla pinball it looks fun i like pinball machines and this looks like a lot of fun uh so if you are a pinball fan uh you can check out the trailer i guess is what they call it it's like a promotional video that's like only 40 something seconds uh that they did for the pinball machine and maybe it'll pop up at a arcade we don't where where would this thing be where would you find this thing uh like a dave and busters maybe like i don't know like i really don't know like i like this is this is this is weird like this out of out of all the weird toys and collectibles and things that have uh, come along the line in uh, in in Godzilla fandom. This is I don't know where this is going to show up. I know I don't even know if this is going to be able. This is going to be available for purchase for like private collectors who can't actually afford it. Like I know people who collect pinball. Like I know uh, I don't personally know people, but I know of people because I've seen the YouTube videos of people who collect pinball machines, and this is just. I don't know. I don't know how you would get your hands on it unless you just walk into a Dave and Buster's or something like that one day. It's like, oh, look, there's that Godzilla pinball machine that I saw uh, on the Internet that one time. So I I don't know. (laughs) I went to I went to a I I guess you'd call it a convention, a con uh, up in Tennessee a couple of years ago that was for it was like a gaming convention. And in the. In the middle of all of the actual, like, you know, your regular gaming stuff, you had just, they had almost every pinball you could imagine. Like, every pinball machine that you could ever imagine. And then, when that was all in the center, and then all around the outside of that is just tons and tons of arcade machines like old school arcade machines going back like they had street fighter the original mortal Kombat. they had you know things like that all uh, lining the walls and stuff and i spent most of my time I'm like i used to play you know arcade games all the time but i spent most of my time in the pinball section the pinball section was so much fun and my favorite was the aerosmith pinball machine Oh, I love, I love, like, I love arcade games and pinball machines. I do. I really, really do. There's just something like, there's something kind of like nostalgic about it. And there's like, Mm -hmm. like these, this, like in, you know, I know a lot of people like to play, you know, Xbox. Like I never, I'm not a gamer, honestly. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, I'm not a gamer. That, that whole, it's not a, I shouldn't say fad because it's not a fad because it's, it's, it's basically its own culture unto itself, but like gamer culture that kind of passed me by like it's like i i don't know like all my friends were off playing halo and call of duty and things like that and i could care less i just wanted to play like old school arcade games uh Mm -hmm. street fighter and sonic the hedgehog and mario brothers and donkey kong and these all these other and pac-man and mrs pac-man like i want to play that stuff i could really care less about these really intricate rpg games that are out now but I really right. would love to play this Godzilla. I really would love to play this Godzilla pinball machine. Like it just makes me wonder, uh, like, like what it's going to be like. Are they going to have like classic rule, like classic sound effects, you know, music, all that stuff? Uh, it, it just looks like a lot of fun. 
the video that they that they played did have some classic like sound effects and roars and stuff in it so uh so yeah i think it does i think it like it's it's an actual licensed from toho pinball machine so they have like the music and the roars and all of that uh you know the designs of the monsters all are classic like heisei era monsters and yeah it just it looks like so much fun it like it looks like it's made specifically for me and you uh us us fans like us fans who grew up in the heisei era and that heisei era of godzilla movies this pinball machine is meant to appeal to us now i'm just wondering how accessible it is to us fans from that era (laughs) i don't know like I, i will be interested to see if um if i walk in like a couple a few months from now i'm i'm planning a trip to uh I'm planning a trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And in Gatlinburg, there's all these like really fun like arcades and there's a Dave and Busters and all that stuff up there because it's kind of a touristy place. And um, I'm really like if, if I walk in there and see this, I'm immediately going to be like, OK, guys, I have to go take about 10 minutes or so. Play this pinball machine. I will be right back. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, the pinball machine is not the only news that we have. Getting into our collector right. and figure news, um, we have a new uh, from Mezco Toys, which I'm not familiar with that company, but we have a new Godzilla figure that's called the Ultimate Godzilla figure. It's been fully revealed and is now available for pre-order for $450. It looks one massive and two fantastic. It is about, I think it's about 18 inches tall. And also uh, Mezco is an older toy brand. They've been around, they've been around, I think to correct uh, Danny, if you're listening, correct me. Uh, or any of the long term or the longtime collectors out there, correct me. But I believe Mezco toys has been around since maybe the seventies. Um, uh, okay. So they're coming They're You know, they, they've been coming back with all these, uh, these, great great godzilla things and like i think the first thing they came out with if i'm not mistaken was um uh the destroy all monsters set which is like the entire cast oh the entire uh excuse me the entire monster cast of destroy all monsters and that looks great and then they have the shobi gen set with the mothra from 64 four or sixty. Oh, okay so that's who's doing the sh- uh, doing that okay yeah i yeah, didn't yeah, know yeah. what company yeah, that yeah, came yeah, from yeah yeah, that, that is a Mezco exclusive. But Mezco is releasing this massive 18-inch tall uh, Godzilla figure, Godzilla 1989. Did they say did they say it's Godzilla 1989, I think, maybe? But it, it looks a lot like Godzilla 1989, at least in the promo pictures and things. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really – it, it kind of reminds me of the old-school toys that you and I grew up with that have lights and sound. I don't think this one has movement. It is articulated, but I don't think it has movement. It, it, its dorsal spines light up. It roars. Its mouth lights up like it's about to blow its atomic breath. It looks fantastic. Um, but honestly, I'm probably going to – like me as a collector, I'm probably going to skip it because of its price point. Um, mm. But I'm so – I'm really excited – for the people that are going to be able to get their hands on this. If I'm not mistaken, Mr. Our friend, Mr. Danny Damana is going to try to get his hands on one. Hopefully maybe because he is a much uh, ballsier collector than I am. Oh, wow. 
nice yeah and like i said it's available for pre-order it does look fantastic like it really does look fantastic i'm um, just looking at the pictures and you can find uh pictures if you're listening to this uh if you haven't seen it uh go check out kaiju news outlet on twitter or our friend at uh our friend mike at uh, kaijubattle.net also runs a fantastic site yes where he talks about all the um collector uh, collector news and things that are coming out uh, anytime there's a festival Honestly, um, I go to Mike first at kaijubattle.net to get all the information, and he yeah. usually is pretty quick to get all to get everything up to date there at his site. Uh, but yeah, the, it, it looks fantastic. That's the and and yeah, but the, the the price point is up there. Makes sense. This is, you know, the the days of it's a premium. It's a premium. It's a premium collectible. Yeah, this is not something you're gonna. Ha- this is not. This is definitely not something you're gonna buy and hand off to your five year old and say, "Here, little Jimmy, yeah, here, play with this it. Godzilla toy." <laughs> that, yeah, this, the days, like the days of the really cheap kind of light up toys that you and I grew up with, that's kind of over. Uh, yeah, because now those now now us at now now us as adults, these places know that, and they're like, "Oh, okay, so these guys." They're growing up now. They have adult money, so they can afford, presumably, to afford. They can afford to buy the four hundred and fifty uh, light up Godzilla from Mezco Toys. So you know, mm-hmm. it is. I, I'm just happy that there's a lot of stuff out there for every level of collector. Um, yeah. You know, we've seen this past like 2020. We didn't see anything. We and I was talking with our friend Danny about this the other day. Um, we hardly saw anything at all through 2020 that has to do with Godzilla collectibles, mainly because of the pandemic, mainly because of shipping costs and, and labor and, and all the things that go into making these things. But now that everything is starting to open up a little bit more, um, we're getting everything. And I was talking, I was kind of talking, I was joking around with Danny. I said, you literally have to like make six figures a year to be able to afford everything that's coming out so far. Right. Um, so like I said, like I said, there's like, there's, there's everything out there for every level of collector, uh, from the, from the budget conscious, like, you know, like you and I, or the, the people that are always seeking out the most high end, most exclusive thing that are, you know, have that disposable income. But, you know, speaking of something that's super affordable and right. That's what I was saying. You you uh, don't take away my transition. Don't take away my transition. Fine. (laughs) <laughs> I was just trying to make it better, Travis. Who's who's running this episode? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, you're right. So uh, on the on the side of uh, affordable collectibles, we have a reveal of the new X Plus Defo Real Godzilla Ultima figure, uh, the Rick version, which is the rare. What is what does Rick stand for? Rare. Rare, interesting, and collectible. Rare, interesting, and collectible. So that version, which has uh, light-up dorsal fins, that's going to be Mm -hmm. approximately $90. But the standard version that doesn't light up is going to be about $80. There's a $10 difference between between just getting uh, light-up. That's not bad. Uh, That's not bad. Okay, so so let me tell you, the caveat of that is this – that's if you order directly from the Shonen Rick, the Shonen Rick website. Oh, okay. And even after that, Travis, you're still going to have to pay 
uh, I'd say probably around thirty dollars to get it shipped over here. Oh, like okay. our okay, you know our you. our friends our friends over at uh, Awesome Collector they have them available. The Rick version costs one hundred and thirty dollars, whereas the standard version costs around a hundred dollars. Okay, that uh, and makes basically more sense. that the yeah. Yeah, the price is the pro- that price is based on shipping. Okay, okay. Well, that's still that's still on the affordable side for especially these Deferial yeah, collectibles. These Deferial collectibles are surprisingly very detailed. Like I am always blown mm-hmm. away by how detailed they look. Uh, and this is Godzilla Ultima, which is from the Singular Point anime. Uh, so yeah, this is really cool. It's really cool looking. Uh, both versions are going to be available or no, they're going to be released in March of 2022. So I think you can go ahead and pre-order them now. Uh, you can, yeah, there are several outlets, including one that we're going to be talking about later. Uh, there are several outlets now that you can order these from, uh, and they're about, they're consistently between a hundred and hundred and thirty dollars still pretty affordable. Like we said, uh, I have not pre-ordered this yet. I'm, uh, I'm not that I don't want to. I'm just kind of on the fence because I love Defo Reels, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, I, I can't. I don't know if I want this or if I want that uh, art spirit set with all of the characters in right. the, that we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah. That, well, that's what I was thinking. You, you're not really a collector of the Defo Reel. Uh, stuff. Uh, I, no, I have a few. I have a few. Yeah, I have a few Defo reels, and they're really nice little figures. Honestly, if you, if you're, if you're a person out there that you know you you want something like super detail, but you don't want to drop like three, four hundred dollars on a on a thirty on a twelve inch tall figure on a twelve inch tall statue, uh, the Defo reel line from X Plus is is really great. Um, I've grown to really appreciate it for what it is. I actually have uh, a few Defo Real figures myself of just kind of characters that I really like, like Godzilla 2000, Dr. Sarazawa, Godzilla 1984, and Mecha Godzilla. I was going to ask you if you picked up the Sarazawa one. I did. I couldn't. I couldn't help myself um, because I have sort of a, a small uh, Godzilla uh, 1954 collection, and I just thought, I, why not? Because it just looks. It looks really great. I got the standard version. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I, I got the st- I got the standard version, the black and white version, um, because I didn't want to pay the extra like thirty bucks for the Rick version, but I'm I'm happy with it. I'm I'm glad. I'm happy with the line, honestly, and the Defo real. The Defo Real line from X Plus is is really good. It's really solid. It's really actually it's actually really affordable, all things considered. Yeah, they they put out um, what was it uh, earlier this year or last year? They put out a uh, Redosaurus from from uh, Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, oh, yeah. and it yeah. it looked amazing. And I that one is the one that I would have if I had the money. I would have gotten when it came out and like just that it looked really good and i would love to have like a little mini like harryhausen collection uh because i love the harryhausen movie so much but i ended up not getting it but it did look fantastic so they don't have just godzilla stuff they have all kinds of stuff but the the i I, it's 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 like pop figures for people who like more detail (laughs) because that because that's really what they are yeah, they're they're like more expensive, or they're like highly detailed pop figures. Uh, that's exactly what they are. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people find a lot of the snootier collectors out there would snub their nose at such a comment, but um, yeah, they're they're basically pop figures that are uh, that are high, that are more detailed and a tad more expensive. Yeah, yeah, because they because they they have the, kind of that chibi, uh, what do you call it the 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 chibi proportions of like mm-hmm. the the pop figures and stuff like that and so it's so yeah. it's yeah they're they're interesting i i just i do really like them i wish i had the money to collect a bunch of them but yeah but yeah so this was a really cool one and like you said they are affordable for collectors who are wanting to collect but don't want to get the humongous statues and pay humongous prices this is a little bit more affordable um they're not as cheap as pop figures but they're but they are they are uh for for what you're paying you're getting a really good detailed figure so mm-hmm. yeah for sure and then the last bit of news that we're going to talk about today is the reveal from Spiral Studios of not one, but two giant Mothra figures, which are the, the Larva Mothra from the King of the Monsters movie. One is the benevolent form, and one is the, what do they call it, the... The angry, the angry, the, I think it's the angry version or the angry form or yeah, it's because some, something one like is that. The, yeah. Yeah. One is this really beautiful, um, uh, translucent blue color. It's got mm-hmm. these translucent blue highlights. And then the other one's this translucent red, right. uh, it's got translucent red highlights, I should say. Um, Oh, it, it, they're, they're gorgeous. And if I, from what I'm reading and from what I know about the company, cause I, from what I know about the company, this is the start of a new line of figures for them that's within the 35 centimeter scale, the 35 centimeter scale line. So that's about, I want to say about 13 inches. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, if you're going by, if you're going, if you're not in the metric, if you're not familiar with the metric system, but that's about 13 inches tall, uh, highly detailed. Uh, Spiral is best known for, uh, their recently released King Ghidorah figure from the same movie from uh, from Godzilla King of the Monsters, which was Man. a very expensive, very very expensive, very massive figure. But this is their more um, I should say affordable line. It's still pretty expensive. It's around it's it's almost four hundred dollars. It's it's trying to compete with X Plus and those highly detailed. Uh, super premium vinyl figures because this is vinyl. This is not resin. This is vinyl, so it is going to be more durable. For anyone listening that's kind of, that is a collector that's kind of scared of resin, I hear you. I understand. I'm also afraid of resin and anything that would easily be broken uh, because I have cats, and anyone with cats will understand what I'm saying. Um, but this is the start of that that new line of figures, and it she looks beautiful. Like she really, really looks beautiful. Yeah, and and so so Spiral has already put out a few of the Godzilla King of the Monster. They put out a Godzilla. They put out a uh, a, the the King Ghidorah that she talked about, and we've talked about on the podcast, and it was like two thousand dollars uh for it because it was humongous, yeah. and, it, and and the Rick version it lit up and everything. Um, 
So this yeah. is on, on the cheaper side and on the smaller side. They're also very, uh, people may know them from the Godzilla, the, the fire Godzilla that they put out a, what, what, like six months ago or so. Uh, it was the, uh, the yeah, it was from the movie and yeah, yeah. it had the, it had the moth wings kind of, uh, built into the figure it was designed uh it was the the initial designs were done by matt frank and then the the actual 3d modeling was done by somebody famous uh, famous in that sphere that i can't remember yeah so they so they put that one out uh so they've they've done a few king of the monsters stuff already and this comes out now what's what's interesting is even though this is on their smaller side, so the dimensions for the uh, the red version, um, which I do want to talk about a little bit more, the difference in, the differences in them. But the red version, uh, we do have the the specs on it. Uh, we don't have it for the blue, the benevolent one. Um, but the mm. the angry one, which is not the name, I can't. I'm trying to remember what the name is, but I I, I gotta look it back up. Um, but it it uh, is 37 centimeters tall, which is 14.5 uh, inches. And it, it actually would match up with probably the Spiral Studios Godzilla figure because the the larva Mothra is actually small enough that it would actually probably be to scale with the actual spiral studios godzilla but uh yeah it's it's so the difference between the two is really interesting because this is not just a difference in paint job the model is completely different if you look at the 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 angry one is not just red but its mouth is open it's kind of if if you picture the scene listener from king of the monsters when when what's her name uh madison is uh first seeing the larva form of mothra and how it gets angry and red and starts shooting webs and its mouth is open and it looks more aggressive and then they they get the orca there and it turns blue and kind of closes its mouth up and it looks more friendly that's the two versions that we're getting here uh both of them are going to be available sometime in 2022 looks like quarter two of 2022 quarter two yes yeah and they are limited at least for the angry version they are limited to 500 units yeah yeah that's the thing about spiral they're a smaller they're they're a smaller company so they have to have uh they have to have more of a limit on them and i'm actually glad that they do i'm actually glad not that they put a limit on them but i'm glad that they disclose what the limit is because a lot of these toy companies don't do that they just uh they just say hey this is available and if you get one great if you don't sorry about your darn luck but um but yeah i'm glad that spiral is, is extremely transparent about that kind of thing um i think you're right there is a little bit of a difference in scale for this for this guy i think i was looking at the uh uh, or for this girl, rather, I was looking at the the blue version here. I was looking at the specs, and the height on her is 35 centimeters. So probably the red version is a little bit taller because she's in that more aggressive, 
upright stance. So that's what makes her a little bit taller. And I'm, you know, what's really interesting about this is they are doing two different sculpts for these. Whereas a lot of places like X plus will just slap on a, a different paint job and call it good. Right. You know, spiral is going the spiral is going the extra mile here and giving us a, a totally different sculpt altogether, which is, which I think is really great. Um, you know, these are going to be available. I think I was looking here really quickly. Uh, you're right. Quarter two. Uh, they are available from different places. Uh, you know, awesome mm -hmm. collector Kaiju live and some, and some others uh, will have these available. I think the price range, I think the price for the benevolent version of the benevolent, what is called the benevolent form um, is going to be three ninety nine, so four hundred, and then the defensive form or the angry Mothra larva is going to be four twenty nine, so four hundred twenty, so four hundred thirty dollars for the uh, more limited exclusive version. Yeah, and uh, so there's only like a thirty dollar. There's only like a thirty dollar difference. Yeah, and what's really interesting too is that Spiral Studios, along with this reveal, also said that, like you said, this is the beginning of their new line. In their new line of smaller figures, they're also going to release the other Titans that appear in King of the Monsters. So we're going to get Scylla. We're yeah. going to get uh, what's, what's Methuselah. We're going to get some of those and behemoth so that's really interesting because i because they did they didn't reveal what they looked like but they did say that more of the titans and they showed like silhouettes of them are coming from spiral studios so that that's mm -hmm. really interesting that they are going full on and doing all of the titans from the movie yeah for sure and you know speaking of spiral studios i actually we're actually friends with uh, one of the uh, North American distributors or one of the more, uh, North American partners for uh, Spiral Studios, which actually happens to be the sponsor of this podcast and sponsor of Kaiju Ramen magazine. And that is Kaiju Live shop and basically what and they're they're a family owned op, they're a family owned and operated company. They're owned by um uh, Frank and AJ Russo. Uh, and if anyone is familiar with Kaiju Live, or not, I'm sorry, not familiar with Kaiju Live, they are they are primarily an online auction show. They host the show on YouTube every Sunday night uh, around nine o'clock p.m. Uh, and basically, they provide a service where collectors, uh, new and experienced collectors, can get their hands on some pretty rare things. And so they're, they're, they are an auction style, so you do have to be prepared to be sort of in a bidding war with other collectors. But it is a lot of fun. These guys are, uh, these guys are super fun. They're super, they're, they're excellent at what they do. Uh, fantastic customer service. I have ordered things from them before. AJ is a very good friend of mine. Uh, he's, an, he's a really good guy. It's a family-owned and operated business, and they really, really do care about uh collector coll i'm sorry they really do care about collectors and the collectibles that they offer because they are at their heart they are collectors too i think frank his dad has been into godzilla and collect and collecting these items for decades at this point and then of course aj being his son got brought in um later on and they've just kind of built this uh they built this 
toy. I don't, I don't know if AJ would want me to say toy empire, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, the Kaiju live empire around this YouTube channel. And, you know, they're just a bunch of really good guys to work with. And, and if you really want to, if you want to visit their site, their site is Kaiju live.shop there, you're going to see a lot of uh, different items ranging from Ultraman to Common Rider to Godzilla to Power Rangers, everything. Um, I'm going to take some a little bit of I'm going to take a little bit of credit for turning uh, AJ on to uh, the Power Rangers Lightning Collection because they offer that kind of stuff too. And um, yeah, I mean there's just they're just a really great group of guys, and there's a lot of things on their website kaijulive.shop uh, where you're actually going to be able to get free shipping on those things. And uh, because they are based out of New York City, they are, uh, I can't remember exactly what town they're in, but they are based out of uh, New York and their shipping is fast. Their shipping is secure, which I have said time and time again as a collector, that is super important to me. If I'm paying uh, this amount of money for toys, I want them to come securely and safely and Kaiju Live, all those guys. Um, you know, all those guys that work there, that family that works there, you know, AJ, Frank and Kelly, they do a fantastic job. Uh, so if you want to check them out and check out what they have to offer, I know they have a lot of different things on up for pre-order right now, including, including the Mezco Godzilla that we talked about, including the spiral burning Godzilla, uh, including the Bandai uh, Shin Ultraman and Gamera and even some uh, Mortal Kombat uh, some Mortal Kombat uh, figures. I think they're the one twelfth scale figures. The the one that I'm thinking of right now that they have up there is the uh, is the reptile figure that just got announced. Uh, Gamera, Dragon Ball Z. Uh, obviously, I said Godzilla, but they have a, a ton of Godzilla stuff. They're they're just they're into everything, and they offer pretty much everything. And so, if you want to check them out, you can at kindulive.shop, and I highly recommend you do. All right, and now it is time to get into our main topic for this week. So to introduce our main topic, we like to ask trivia questions each week that hint to what we're talking about. And this week we asked the question, what monster flick only has 25 lines of verbal dialogue? And we promise to read out everyone's answer no matter what they say which has kind of come back to bite us on the butt a little bit a couple of times a little bit but it's but it's okay it's okay travis so uh gzilla 100 on twitter uh asked the question how the heck am i supposed to know uh which gzilla if you are listening (laughs) i think you misunderstand the idea of trivia yes like you're supposed to give us an answer, uh, not ask us a question in return. Right. Like even if you don't, even if like even we tell our listeners, even if you don't know the answer, even if you don't, even if you know it's going to be the wrong answer, just give us an answer. You know, you know, don't don't cop out and be like, how am I supposed to know? I mean, although to be fair, harder, Nick, I don't think Gzilla listens to the podcast because I interacted with him on Twitter and he's like, oh, you have a podcast. And I was on the Kaiju Weekly podcast Twitter. And so I just <laughs> sent him a screenshot of our Twitter profile that says Kaiju Weekly podcast. So, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to chalk that up to uh, just an honest mistake. Thank you, Gzilla. For, thank you, Gzilla, for responding to the trivia question. We really do appreciate it. 
yeah, we always we promise to read out no matter what answer you give. And so there we go. Uh, we are true to our word. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Damon Noise gave us an answer. Uh, Cats Got Your Tongue, a feline horror anthology. Uh, I like it. We need more cat horror movies. Although there is a lot of cats in horror movies. There are, yeah, because there's a there, I think there's a horror movie literally called Cats. That's not the musical. I'm not talking about the musical. <laughs> I, was I, think gonna... I think there's a, I think no, I, 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 even a, though a, that movie is There's a horror movie that came out in twenty nineteen. Uh it's it's <laughs> it's called Cats. Uh the the it's about singing and dancing cats. James Gordon was in it. <laughs> Um, oh man that movie that movie was such that movie was such a crap show and uh, i'm not talking about the butthole cut so uh, (laughs) look we need to cover that on the podcast at some point because it is a a monster movie it is a monster movie Oh no, we're not doing. If if those cats were only, if those ca- okay, I will I would cover it if those cats were at least I don't know, maybe like twelve inches taller. I would cover it, but no. Well, the thing is, they change cats. size throughout the movie. Like that, you're not consistently the same size throughout the movie, which is another thing that just makes it so crazy. Um, yeah, last week I we draw covered- the line at cats, Travis. Last I draw week- the line at cats, Travis. Last week we covered Shang Chi, so that opens the door for everything. <laughs> Anything can be a giant no, monster movie. Not. Oh no! Next no, week, next no, week we're no, covering no. Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> Captain <laughs> Captain Marvel is the next kaiju movie we're going to cover on Kaiju Weekly. <laughs> oh yeah, because that performance was monstrous. Um, uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> So Crystal Lady Jessica gave us the answer. Oh, brother, why won't you shut up? Um, which I think she's talking to her her actual brother, who is Nathan Marchand. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I think she was talking I think she's talking to her brother her pseudo brother. Pseudo like, brother. Why don't you shut up? Brother. Yeah, pseudo brother. Her, her online brother. Something like that. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Like that whole family dynamic there is a little weird. And I try not to question it, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and then Raymond Martin gave us a really good answer. Silence of the Lepus featuring that famous line. Can you still hear them, Clarice? The rabbits, Clarice. Are they still screaming? <laughs> uh, Silence of the Lepus is the name of my off-Broadway play based on Night of the Lepus, <laughs> which I am still working on. I, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice carrot juice. I was going to say carrot juice. Uh, I'm glad you went that way. <laughs> uh, and then Joe Jira gave us Silent Movie, directed by Mel Brooks. Very good uh, selection, Joe Jira, but not the correct answer. Thank you, though. Uh, Chris Deggle gave me probably one of my favorite answers this week which is look who isn't talking featuring not the voice of bruce willis <laughs> that's actually really clever thank you chris thank you chris we appreciate that Don- <laughs> donka shane chris 
And then uh, Nathan Marchand from the Monster Island Film Vault podcast sent us Talk to the Claw, which me and me and Steven did earlier in the podcast history. We already did that, Nathan. We talked about the claw. We did. If you'd be, if, if Nathan were actually paying attention and listening as a faith, if, if Nathan were actually a faithful listener of the podcast, he would know that. Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with you, Nathan? Um, then I, I want to say this person's name is Kevin Dwayne, but I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing du- that right. Du- so. No, it's not Dwayne. That's do du- Dion. Dion? Do it's it's spelled like do a do a yan <laughs> Kevin do a yan. Um, I'm sorry for mispronouncing. I think it's pronounced sorry, Dwayne. Kevin. I think it's pronounced Dwayne, but I'm sorry, we're, we're, Kevin. Uh, we're sorry, we're sorry, Kevin. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening to the Hinchinman podcast because if I remember right, he's also the one who tweeted out uh, a message to the Hinchinman podcast, my uh, side and lesser known and lesser less popular podcast, the Henshin men. Uh, so thank you for that. But he tweeted out, uh, the answer is Akira just 12 times of the Tetsuo Canada exchange. Then the 25th line is just the Godzilla roar, <laughs> which was very clever. If you are a fan of anime and Akira and have seen Akira. <laughs> so thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. And then Kaiju Kim sent in the answer, Alien versus American Sign Language. Very good. Very clever. Love that. Actually, yes. Very clever. Yeah. Uh, and then Derek B. Uh, sent in, why didn't we just live by the waterfall the whole time? The movie. <laughs> I I have. I'm glad somebody else. I'm glad somebody else pointed that out. So I, I okay, we're going to get into that when we start talking about the movie. I do want to talk about that in the movie. So thank you, Derek, for sending that in. Uh, 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 and then our friend Elijah from the Kaiju Conversation podcast sent in uh, a Yeti Elijah. place, nips from afar, which sounds thank like you, Elijah. <laughs> that sounds like like some somebody's like love uh, romance album that they put out of ro- like romance songs. Nips from afar. <laughs> I'm all out. I'm all out of nipples. I'm so, so lost, lost without, without you. you. Oh. <laughs> uh. Thank you, Elijah. <laughs> and then, last but also least, Jimmy from NASA, <laughs> uh, who sent in the Quiet Game of Thrones. Thank you, Jimmy. Which if, which you've, if you've if you've ever seen the if you've ever seen the actual Game of Thrones that first season is not very quiet at all. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, I was gonna make a joke about the monsters sleeping with their sister, but yeah, we're gonna um, <laughs> we're just gonna gloss over that. Okay, we're moving on. on. So our main topic this week is not one but two movies. We are covering a Quiet Place one. What? And A Quiet Place 2 from 2018 and 2021. 
It was, or both of them were, directed by John Krasinski. They starred John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, Millicent Simmons, Noah Jupe, Jupe, Jwap, I don't know how to say his last name, but, uh, and then Cillian Murphy and Jamon Honsu. I have no problem saying Jamon Honsu. I have a problem saying Noah Jupe. <laughs> I don't know why I struggle with that name, but not Jamon Honsu. <laughs> and the plot breakdown michael i'm looking for the plot breakdown uh right now hang on uh okay so here's the plot breakdown um the life and adventures of a family in the 21st century in the american midwest they're in upstate new york no that is not the midwest no they're no, no, they're basically the modern-day Ingalls family. Oh. See, I thought you were going to go with Swiss Family Robinson. That's the ones I was going to... Uh, oh, no, I went with Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Does, does that clarify the plot to anybody? <laughs> it's Little I House mean, on the Prairies. It's it's Swiss Family Robinson, but monsters. Yes, and death pe- and, and a deaf child. Yes. Yes. Which, yes. There's a death child and a deaf child. Yes. <laughs> I think. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> the, the difference between death and deaf. Uh, okay. Never mind. I'm getting, I get it now. Uh, anyway, <laughs> opening thoughts. Why are we so bad at this? We've been doing this for 92 episodes. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're bad at it. It's just sometimes there are movies, sometimes there are movies, Travis, that are just really hard to explain. Uh, but thankfully this movie is not one of them. So basically, uh, it's a family. It's post-apocalyptic. There are aliens. The aliens have supersonic hearing and can hear a pin drop. And so everyone just has to walk around and not say a word to each other, which for those for those listeners who have kids sounds like the perfect way to spend a Saturday. But Michael, not in this reality. Michael, we got to be quiet. What? We got to be quiet. We're talking about a quiet place. Okay, that's fine. we're just going to do the entire episode like this. Yeah, okay. we're going to do the rest of the episode like this. So, what are your opening thoughts okay, on this movie? Okay, my opening thoughts on this movie was I really liked it. Um, I really enjoyed the characters. This really sounds I, bad in my ears. Ah, I got to take my headphones off. <laughs> so, so are you are you saying are you saying that I would not be a good a- ASMR? <laughs> this is the Kaiju Weekly ASMR episode. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, wait, 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 one more thing. Yeti nipples. <sighs> we're not talking about Dang it, Travis. No, we're not talking about Yeti nipples. No, stop it. Stop it, Travis. <laughs> okay, okay, opening thoughts. Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> My opening, my opening thoughts are: it's a good movie. Like I was pleasant. Like surprisingly enough, this is my first time watching this. Like I, it, it, it has been out for the last. Like the P- Quiet Place One came out what two years ago or three years ago? Three years ago, twenty eighteen. I, I don't know. 
Yeah, 20, okay, so three years ago. Um, and this is my first time watching it. I really, 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 really enjoyed it. I really, I, I, like, there's just the atmosphere, the music, the acting, just, and I, I think I even text, like, I was taking notes and I was texting him, like, like the act, the the caliber of acting when the cast is literally saying nothing at all is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I loved these pair. I love this pair of movies. I really, really did. Out of and you know, I'm not the biggest fan of modern day horror and modern day like thriller, what like thriller horror slasher, whatever the hell movies. Um, I'm not a big fan of those because I feel like they get kind of cheesy, not cheesy, but they get really derivative after a while. But this one felt really unique, and I loved that about it. Yeah, yeah this this movie was. This movie lives and dies on the chemistry and the acting of the cast. And mm-hmm. my goodness, they did such a for, for having because the first movie has such a small cast. Like they expanded out and we get a mm-hmm. lot more, you know, people in the sequel, but the first movie has is just the family, and you get a few side characters that pop up here and there, but it is just the family. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they n- there's not a lot of spoken dialogue. There is a lot of sign language in this, um, which which is a lot of fun for someone who is fluent in American Sign Language. This was a lot of fun to to watch. Uh, Millicent Simmons is a deaf actress, uh, and she did a mm-hmm. fantastic job. Um, for being as young as she is, same with the one who plays the brother, Noah Jupe. Again, don't know how to pronounce that name. Uh, but but uh, the two kids, for being so young, do such an amazing job. Like, they are absolutely fantastic. And Emily Blunt yeah. and John Krasinski, we already know, are two fantastic actors because they've we've seen them be fantastic and other things, but to, to get these two kids that do so well mm-hmm. that they in some places overshadow their acting and their, their like, oh, just, just how good they are overshadows even Emily Blunt and John Krasinski. Is it fair to ask that the on-screen chemistry, the, the, if the reason that the reason the on-screen, the on-screen chemistry between John and Emily was so good is because they're actually married. Do you think it would be, I know we'll never know, but do you think it'll, it would be the same thing if they weren't actually husband and wife? Mm, I don't know. They're, they're, I mean, cause we've seen them have good chemistry with other characters and other actors and other things. So I think they're, mm-hmm. they're professional actors. They can, they can act. Um, but the fact that the they have that chemistry with the kids and they feel like a real family like i you know i knew that john krasinski and emily blunt had kids so i was like at first i thought this might be their actual kids but no their their kids are too small they're too young but they because they feel like a real live family like they they interact with each other in such an amazing way. And I just, yeah, this, these movies and, and that's talking about the, the first one going into the second one. I, I have seen so many horror sequels and, and not even just horror sequels, but sequels in general that 
fail. That just flop. Yeah, that just flop. Yeah. That do so poorly. And I was so worried about this movie going in, the sequel, going into it. I was so worried. I went and saw it in theaters. And I was like, oh, please don't be bad. Please don't be, be at least half as good as the first one. And in my opinion, like we'll talk about, there are a few little things that I think the first one did better. The second one, I think, is still on par with the first one. Like, they are mm -hmm. both equally as good as each other. And that is a huge achievement for a small-budget horror franchise now. Now it's a franchise. Yeah, once you start planning, once you start planning that third movie, you become a, you become a franchise. And, we, you know, we have heard that they are planning to at least do a part three. And I think... As much as I love these two movies, I think that ending it at a part three is the best way to do it. I don't want this to become a, a quiet place part 11. I, I don't want that. Like I want them just to kind I want them to tie up a quiet place part. I want them to tie up the quiet place with a part three in a neat little bow and give us a satisfying ending and then call it good. So you don't like, want it to turn into tremors? No, I don't want it to turn into Dreamers. No, at all. No, no, <laughs> no. God, no. Um, uh, but there are, you know, let's get in. We can get into, let's get into part one. Uh, yeah. I, I know we have a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. So let's get into part one. Right. And, and, uh, and we're me, also going to do our, our, our patented, no one steal it, positivity sandwich, uh, where we talk about the positives and we talk a little bit about the negatives and we finish on some positives. But I don't know how much. I mean, this is going to be a pretty lopsided sandwich. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's a front-loaded sandwich. Um, it's a front-loaded. It's definitely a front-loaded sandwich. So, um, the 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 unexpected, the unexpected, and I and I should have seen it coming from the beginning. I should have seen. I should have seen it coming. But the oh, by the way, spoilers. But you've had time to watch this movie. Shame on you for not. We're going to say spoilers. We are going to cover spoilers. Uh, you have had time to watch the first one. The second one came out this year, so I am a little bit more hesitant to share spoilers for the second one. So we will make mm -hmm. sure that we clearly identify when we share the spoilers going into the second one, just in case anybody hasn't had a chance to go see that one. The first one, you've had a little bit more time, so we're going to, we're going to be really open with the spoilers. So, yeah. But the movie opens, uh, and we're already in this poke, this post-apocalyptic world. The Pocahontas world. The movie world. opens with no dialogue. The Pocahontas, yeah, the Pocahontas world. The movie opens with no dialogue. Um, they're just in a pharmacy. They're looking, or they're in a uh, convenient, or a drugstore or something, uh, a small grocery store. They're just looking for, uh, I think it was, it, it later turns out in part two, we saw it was just like a little small grocery store that also had like a pharmacy and everything in it. Mm -hmm. um, but they're in, they're looking for food. They're looking for medication because apparently the oldest kid, one of the oldest boy, the, the oldest boy has a fever or some kind of pain. Mm -hmm. And so they're just looking for medication and they're being really cautious about it. And then, um, the, the most unexpected thing, which I should have seen it coming, honestly, the most unexpected thing was the death of the youngest son. Yeah. Um, that was that. I mean, I, I should have seen it been, I should have seen it forecasted and kind of, I, I kind of did when they're going through this store and the little boy, he's probably about what, what would you say? Like five Maybe five or six. Yeah, four. he's not very young. No, at he's all. not even that. No, he's only four at most. 
Okay, so he's about four years old, and he's, you know, like every four-year-old, every four-year-old child, he can't leave stuff alone. So, you know, his he, he gets this, he gets this shuttle, the shut this aircraft shuttle toy, and they take out the batteries because it turns it, you know, it can't make sound because sound attracts these aliens. I'm I guess I'm assuming they're aliens. Um, I do want to talk and, about that. We're going to talk about that, but the the monsters, yeah. Okay. The monsters. It attracts the the sound. The, the monsters are very sensitive to sound, um, and I should have seen it coming because as they're leaving the drugstore, the little boy picks up the batteries, but still on the bridge. I didn't expect them to kill the little boy so quickly. Yeah, but what what makes it but, so effective? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, but but it, it plays into a much larger narrative that kind of goes throughout the first movie, especially, and, in, and into some of the second movie. But go ahead. Yeah, well, what, what makes that death such an effective thing, and, and like you said, it is kind of broadcast early on, but you're still like, it's playing with your sensibilities of horror movies. Like, you don't expect mm-hmm. a horror movie to kill off the little kid. So it's playing with that expectation. You're like, you're sitting there. You're like, okay, even if something happens, even if he plays the sound, they're going to something. They're going to escape, or he's going to get away, or he's going to uh, maybe maybe the dad's going to die, or maybe somebody else is going to die. You just you don't expect the kid to die that early on in the movie, and the way it happens so fast and so sudden that it just sends you for a loop. And then you're just like, you're now wrapped in this movie. You're like, I don't know what to make of this. And now what, what am I going to do with myself moving forward? And which is kind of funny because that is the place where all of the characters from the rest of the family are, is we don't know what to do with ourselves now. (laughs) And so they move forward. You know, it's just, it is really great. Uh, I really like that all of the actors learned sign language so that they could communicate and actually have sign language done like that. Like, you know, Millicent, like we said, is deaf, but she helped teach and, and John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, all of them did learn sign language. And as someone, like I said, who is fluent in American sign language, who has deaf friends and friends who have family who are deaf, they do actually communicate in a way that feels like an actual family with a deaf kid like they like they are communicating in that way and it's believable it's not i mean Mm -hmm. it's a little stilted like you can tell they're not they're not like super duper fluent in it uh emily blunt and john krasinski but at the same time even family members who have like a deaf a deaf person in their family may not be as fluent as you know some as a deaf person is so like that's that's believable it's absolutely believable the way that they use sign language in this and i am such a big fan i always pay attention to movies on how they use sound and silence in a movie like if a movie has no silent parts and it's just noise from beginning to end that just annoys the heck out of me this movie of course because of the premise the use of sound 
is so good. But even the use of music is really good because the music comes in. But when there's moments where they have to be silent, the music doesn't even come in. The music goes away. So it is just they really just brilliantly used all of that. Yeah, there's there's this constant. And I think this is there's this constant like tension throughout the entire Mm -hmm. movie because it is silent. And I think that's what modern horror movies don't do well, in my opinion, uh, is they like you'll have moments of like high tension and then you'll go into a low point. Then you'll have more high tension and then you'll go into a low point. Like there's an ebb and flow and there's like peaks and valleys. But this was like a constant just tense. There was this constant tension throughout this entire movie. And I think it is because that it is such an uncomfortable film to watch, not because of the content, but because of the fact that it is practically silent throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you could legitimately watch this without any sound on. You could mute it and it would still play really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. It's such a really great... Uh, the for me and you're right like the way that they the way that it has the the these tense moments throughout the whole film because from that first moment where the kid dies to the point where they actually show the monsters again it's a pretty decent chunk like there's a huge gap in the movie where there's no monsters but you feel the presence of those monsters throughout no matter whether they're on screen or not, you feel the presence and every little noise. Like there's a scene where they're, the kids are playing a game and they knock something over. They knock over a lamp and it makes a little noise and they just immediately everyone is frozen of like just cannot like they're just waiting for something to happen. And, and it's in that tension is so good in this movie you're right i think uh i'm with you a lot of modern horror movies now to be fair i'm not i'm not in the horror genre as much as i am into other genres so you know there's probably a lot of outliers i've missed but in general what i've seen of modern horror movies they tend to rely a lot on uh jump scares and the jump scares are in this movie there are jump scares but the jump scares are only effective if you're already in a heightened sense of just terror and uneasiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what this film does well. Yeah, this this like I said, this movie this movie does make you feel uncomfortable. Uh because it's it's unlike a lot of different it's a, it's unlike a lot of things we've seen before. And you know, we've had movies where you've had to be you've had to be quiet because there's a there's a serial killer there's a monster that could hear you, you know, that kind of stuff. We've had those movies before, but not to this level. And there's this constant feeling of like in, in other horror movies, there's okay. So there's, there's the monster outside. And, but when you're in this place, when you're in your house and your bunker, whatever, you're safe, you're, you're in safety. Mm-hmm. There's this constant feeling of, like no one is safe at any given moment in this movie. Like there is no sanctuary in this movie. And that Mm -hmm. is, I think is what helps is what is what builds upon the tension because this movie, like you said, in the scene where they're playing, look, they're, they're playing a simple board game 
and they're not using the proper like the proper uh, little icons. They're playing Monopoly, and they're not using the proper pieces for the Monopoly because the, the Monopoly pieces are made of metal, and you and and metal against uh, wood or metal against uh, uh, cardboard makes noise, and they can't make noise. And so it gives you this sense that like you're not always safe, and there's that, mm-hmm. and, and that just helps build upon the tension. Yeah, and and that's one of the things I did want to point out too with this first movie especially is the little details. Little details mm-hmm. like they have to cook food in a way that doesn't make noise and they paid attention to that detail. Like you see them the way that they're cooking their food is is in a way that doesn't make noise and they don't have plates. They don't have, you know, glasses and stuff because those would make noise. Like there's little yeah. details like that in this movie that make it such a believable world for a world that's you know has monsters and and things like that like for it to be a believable world which is one of the things that kind of i again brings you into it it's like yes we we're we're not tricked into believing this could happen like we know that these monsters aren't real but we're still absorbed into the world because so much of it is so realistic and there's so much attention to detail and the and again the characters and their interactions with each other are so well done that you just kind of get wrapped up in the story and you forget that it's a fake story (laughs) yeah it's like the the one detail that i noticed um, and I'm glad you mentioned it, but the one detail that I noticed the most, like first and foremost was they're eating, they're eating fish, which is a relatively quiet food. And it's probably the only resource they really can have because they can't raise cattle because cattle make noise. And we kind of mm-hmm. see like, you know, you can't raise things that make noise and fish don't really make noise, or at least not to the, not to the degree that would get, you know, get them killed. But you know, they're eating their food off of very thick leaves mm. instead of plates. And I don't remember what, what were they using as like drinking glasses? I can't remember. Was it wooden I think glasses it was just like, or yeah, I think it was like wooden cups, wooden cups, something like they were like, they were trying to minimize the sound as best possible. And, and, it, and like you said, it does make it believable. There is, um, I mean, obviously with every movie like this, there is this, there is that level of suspension of disbelief, but it's not so much with the monsters because we know those aren't real, but it's, it's the feeling of insecurity that we feel mm-hmm. with this family that does feel very real. Um, another overarching thing throughout the whole movie that, that I really, I picked up on and I thought was really well done is every member of the family blames themselves in some way for the death of that, of the, the little boy. Yes. And, all of that together, like just knowing that all of them are, are dealing with that and they're blaming themselves and they're reacting to it in different ways. And again, it goes down to the performance, the way they perform the, their, their grief, you know, the way they portray the grief on screen is different. You know, the, the daughter is not grieving in the same way that the father is. The father is grieving in a different way than the mother is and all of that. So it's, it's interesting that you get that, that overarching uh, feeling of grief as well. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of grief in this movie, like so much and like, and, and it's, 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 it's kind of like unrequited grief. If that makes sense is because mm-hmm. 
like they watch their little boy die in front of their eyes and they can't do anything about it because everything mm-hmm. that they can do, everything like grieving makes noise. Everything that they do makes noise and they put themselves in danger just by uh, basically breathing or crying. As we see in part two, like the, the oldest son who starts sobbing and crying at, in, in pain that puts him in danger. And it's mm-hmm. just really, it's just really, it's a really tragic thing to think about. It's like, if you're a parent who just watched your kid die in front of you and you can't react like a normal person would, because that would, that would put you in danger yourself. I mean, that's a really, that's a really tragic thing to think about. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about what, what we mentioned earlier, they go to the river and the river and the waterfall make a loud enough noise as, and, and you get the, the idea that as long as there's a loud enough noise nearby, the smaller noises aren't going to attract the, the creatures. And a lot of people view that as a plot hole because why wouldn't they move to the river or by the river? But one they already live by the river because they're walking distance to the river. So, I mean, how, you know, what, what else do you want from them? Also, they don't have a house by the river. Like the, the, their house is, and, and like whether or not like, yeah, you could, well, you could go and build a shelter. Well, how are you going to build a shelter? How are you going to build a camp? How are you going to do all of that by the river? If, the monsters are attracted by sound and stuff. So I don't know. I, I don't view that as a plot hole that a lot of people have. Like to me, it's like, no, they're, they are close enough to the river, but they're also like, this is our home. This is where all of our supplies are. And we're living in the, now they've moved into the barn. So it's safer. And we're just, you know, so that they can store up supplies and store up, you know, stuff and they can farm. They have the corn, the cornfield, they have all of that kind of stuff. So they, they have supplies there. And I just, I don't know. I don't know why people are so insistent that they go and live by the river. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get it. I, I get what people are, I get what, what people are saying, but the movie would basically, if they, if they went and lived by the river, there would be no reason for this movie. They would just live by the, I mean, they were just well, by also, the river and- like in, in putting myself in their position, I wouldn't go and live by the river because that you don't have a, a an actual shelter there. It's just the river. Yeah. It's it's cold. It's wet. I mean, no one wants to live in that. It's miserable. Yeah, you'd have to build a shelter, and and you know, they're from from what we're seeing, like they are hunkering down as if this is life. They're not looking for, well, we do see John Krasinski is kind of looking and, you know, he's questioning what is the weakness of the monster. So he is looking for a way to kind of fight them off. But for the most part, they are just surviving. Like they're just, this is life now. And we're just going to live. Like they're even teaching the they've kids. Accept, they've accepted it. Yeah. 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 Like they're teaching the kids, you know, they're homeschooling the kids and stuff like that. So it's like, at this point, they're just, this is life now. So why would you go and live in a tent by the river? Like, that's just not, I don't know. It's just it, like I, I, that criticism always bothered me when people, when the movie first came out and people have said it, I've heard, heard a lot of people say it and I don't get it. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I like one thing I do like about this movie is having such a small cast, even going into the second one where the cast expands out some more, but having such a small cast means that every one of the deaths is meaningful. Hmm. Like, yeah, I, I, I put meaning less in the notes, but I meant meaningful. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no, like in a lot of horror movies, there's a, there's a lot of just collateral damage as far as deaths go. Uh, there's yeah. just, you know, you have, you have your handful of like deaths that are, that just kind of rip your heart out. But sometimes a lot of times there's those pat, like it sounds really insensitive to say this, but there's those, those padded deaths just to kind of pad the body count um, to make it a, a horror movie. But like, you're right. Every, every death in this, in this film feels meaningful from the little boy mm-hmm. to, to the dad character, to the old, to the old man who, who is so grieved over his, over his wife dying and getting, or getting killed. It's never really, it's never really revealed. I'm assuming she got killed and he just can't go on any longer. Um, and he just, he kills himself by making noise and the monsters come to get him. Um, every death seems, every death feels meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. And, and, and yeah, in, in a lot of horror movies there, when a group of characters, you can kind of pick out, Oh well, yeah, this one is going to die. This one's going to die. You know, these characters are going to die. Cause they're just like, they're there just to be killed off by the monster. Right. Whereas in, with such a small cast, it doesn't feel like any of them are meant are there just to die off. And so they're all meaningful. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I think this is a really, really great film. I have so many, so many things that, that I can go into and talk about, but let's talk about some negatives before we get into talking about the sequel part two. Sure. So, one of the negatives that I have for the movie, and it's really my only real negative for the entire movie, both movies, is yeah. I don't like the monster design. No, I really do I think not the, like the way they're designed. I think the monster design, it works in context, but it's pretty generic. I mean, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty run-of-the-mill... Like it's, it's quadrupedal humanoid. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it run. looks like I mean, Cloverfield kind of. Yeah, it does. Like it's like these creatures have a really, I don't even, I don't even know if stranger things vibe to them is the right way to frame yeah, is the yeah, right way it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's very like stranger things, Cloverfield, probably a little bit closer to co- if, if Clover was scaled down to human size, that's what it would feel like to me. The premise behind them, I will say is interesting. Like they have all of these, um, these different little thing, these, these not ten, they're not tendrils. I don't know what to call them, but they're these, these they're plates like on their head that they're like yeah. flaps. Yeah. That, that, that listen for various sounds and they have like hypersensitive hearing. Um, that's really interesting, but the overall, uh, design of the monsters, I mean, not so much. I mean, not so much. I'm, I'm actually kind of glad they went ahead and revealed the monster pretty early on uh, because I feel like if they would have waited till the end, I would have been kind of disappointed. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm the same way. I think I would have been disappointed if they had tried to keep it hidden. Um, no, they they revealed it really early on. That's one thing that they didn't try to do in this was try to like hide the monsters uh, or obscure them in any kind of way. They like I, I read that you know of course a lot of the inspiration for the way they look is is bats especially like vampire bats the way they walk um, they have a little bit of spider inspiration to them and stuff like yeah I can see it but the, but it still feels generic and I, and it doesn't it shouldn't feel generic because it's like well why is or or I had to ask myself when I said that they. You know, when I wrote it down, that they felt generic. Why do they feel generic? It's because this kind of lanky, emaciated, with sharp teeth and and face flap type design has been done in so many movies now that I'm getting tired of it. I'm getting tired of that look to monsters. I, I want them to do something more interesting with monster designs in this. Cause it, like you said, like it, it feels like stranger things. Like it fits right into the stranger things universe. It fits into Cloverfield. It fits into all of those because they look exactly the same as all of those other monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, uh, uh, resident evil. There's a lot, there's a, there's a mm-hmm. resident evil quality to them. Um, yeah, but there I is. don't, I don't know. I don't know what they would do differently, but I kind of would, I would want them to do something differently. Or I would want, I would have wanted them to do something differently with these monsters to make them not ne- like, not necessarily like just in your face, like, Ooh, that's terrifying looking, but more like creepy and unsettling because there's really nothing too unsettling about, I think an effective monster design is not is is equal parts creepy and slash scary but also equal parts like unsettling uh yeah yeah there's nothing there's nothing unsettling about these monsters right because you look at them and you can tell what's what you can tell okay here's the arms here's the mouth here's the the face things and the ears you can see the ears in them and stuff so it's like and here's the claws so like you can you can look at them and see what's what one of the things i love about the the design for the xenomorphs in the alien franchise and and what uh uh giger did with the designs is and and really his whole art style is when you look at them and you look at those designs you can't tell what's what like because Mm -hmm. there's tubes and there's like you can see the ribs and you can see the arms and you can see the mouth but then the mouth has another tongue inside it that has another mouth and then there's no eyes on the creature it's fully and the head is extended and so there's like it doesn't make sense, which is good because then that makes it, like you said, unsettling. And I think if they even, went uh, more, uh huh, go ahead. Even a monster, even though even the creatures in, uh, I think you and I both like this one. Um, oh God, what is it called? It's the one where the spelunkers go into like a really deep dark oh, cave. The and descent. They just, the descent. Yeah, like those creatures feel really unsettling. Like they feel yeah. really, really unsettling as a, and a lot more unsettling than even these. And honestly, I think that, I think what, I think what is, I think the difference between those and these 
is if they would have just kind of made them more humanoid, it would have been more, uh, it would have worked a little bit better to me, I think. I don't know, but I, 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 I yeah. really don't know. Maybe, maybe making them more human or adding a little bit more body horror to them. Like there's something, something that just like really makes, it looks gross, not just scary, but gross that would have, you know, been, but I mean, at the same time, I get this is, this movie was not meant to be a straight up horror that only appeals to horror movie fans. Like it's meant this movie actually, whether, even though it was a low budget, I think they did intend for it to try to appeal to the wider audience. So making the monsters kind of more generically scary than straight up creepy, disgusting uh, is was, a, was on purpose, but I, I think it would have for me, as a monster fan, the monsters would have been more interesting if they went more on a disgusting kind of creepier level. Yeah, because there is that there even is even in the horror genre, which you and I are not familiar with because we're not into that kind of we're not into that genre of film. But even as a even a even as a subculture within that genre is like the bloody, disgusting body horror uh, area mm-hmm. within within that within the horror genre and i think if they would have went that route it would may have been too much so i agree with you that they did what i what they what they thought was going to appeal to a much wider audience yeah yeah now and this is kind of this is uh, so this is going to transition us into part two but one of the things that i think is interesting about the monsters in this in these movies we never get a full explanation of where they come from. We get hints to the idea that they might be from space, but just like in Cloverfield, it's never fully explained whether the monster comes from space or from under the ocean. You're never fully sure whether these monsters did come from space or did they escape from somewhere or what happened. One thing that I noticed, especially in part two, they do not eat people. They just kill them. They, they, they chase people down when they hear noise, they chase people down and they kill them. They do not eat people. And in the first movie, we see them kill a raccoon, but outside of outside of that, we don't see them attack other animals. We only see them attack Mm -hmm. people. So could it be, that these monsters are not from space, but maybe escaped from something else. So like uh, a, a military base or something like that, or could they be from space, but they're not animals or monsters or, or even intelligent creatures. They're actually like a bioweapon created by an alien race that's sent just to kill the humans. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like it's like send the like it's like a it's like a, a, a like a yeah like you like you said a bioweapon bioweapon is the best I was trying to think of another word but that's the best way to describe it like a bioweapon uh, sent to just kind of clear I guess I don't know clear the playing field for a bigger invasion but we never I mean I'm just speculating they never see that because there is that part in there is that scene in part two where you know at they're all at the baseball game it's just kind of calm it's america you know it's just small town life just as you know it 
And then all of a sudden you see something in the sky. And at, at first I thought, well, did a plane crash? Did a plane get shot out of the sky? Is it a meteor? But we never see anything really crash to earth. And um, I don't think it's ever explained in the dialogue, even with the police or even, even on the, in the, on the police scanner. Like I was listening to, I was listening to the, the, the police scanner and just kind of trying to see if they say anything, but they really didn't. All they said was mm -hmm. we need help over at area, whatever. And it's never right. really explained. I'm just going to assume that it was a meteorite. Maybe they're not necessary. Well, I mean, would, would they possibly be parasites? But parasites would want to eat something to survive. So Right. Well, well, parasites need the host, host. to be able to survive. Like the, mm -hmm. like the idea behind a parasite is if it kills the host, it needs to be able to spread to something else or else it'll die mm -hmm. off. So it needs to be able to spread. So if they are a parasite, they have to be getting some kind of benefit from killing off the humans. And if they're not eating right. them, what benefit is there? I don't, I, that's, that's what intrigues me. And I kind of like that they don't explain it. Like on one hand, I do want more of an explanation, but on the other hand, I'm like, no, I kind of like that they leave it a mystery because you can just fill in, fill in the blanks. Uh, the two right, because, points. Because if something would have actually, if something, honestly, if, if something like this actually would have happened, it's very doubtful that like people like you and I, just normal citizens would get a straight answer as to what was going on anyway. Right. And you see in the first movie, a lot of um, like magazines and newspapers and stuff where they were obviously like using that as a way of sending out information to people. So when they find out that sound is what attracts them, they put it in the newspapers to let people know so that they can, you know, they can know and, and hide and everything. And, and you see that the government is trying to, at, you know, stop them, but they get overwhelmed. And two things that 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 get me about the these these monsters is we we get the shopkeeper is watching a news report of, and what he says is probably a meteor. He doesn't, you know, does don't really know uh, mm -hmm. that crash landed somewhere else. And then we see the meteor coming down outside when we're at the baseball game. So. Because my question when I was watching it was like, well, if it's a meteor, how did they spread across the world so fast? Um, but if it's like multiple meteors coming down with the same creatures on them, then it makes sense. But also they get from you see you hear the, the uh, police officer in the town say we're sending people up there to check it out. And then he's he's attacked or his his uh, car is attacked by one of the monsters. So like they went from wherever they land that meteor landed to that town very fast. If they did come from that meteor. Mm -hmm. So I, I just like, there's so many questions I have of like, I don't know if they're actually, they actually are from the meteor or not, or, or actually even from space. I don't think we're supposed to know, honestly. Right. Right. No. I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, we're not, going, uh, we're not supposed to know. And, 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 I don't think it's ever been mentioned in any article that I've seen about this movie. It's never really been mentioned where the monsters are supposed to be from. Yeah, no. Yeah, totally. Um, getting into part two, the, the sequel. Um, one thing that I like is, so you're not, there's not as much 
playing with sound as there was in the first one. Like one of the things I liked was how they played with sound, played with the silence and used the music and, and the lack of music to kind of build atmosphere. They didn't do that as much in the sequel, but what they did was they tried some interesting camera shots to mm-hmm. kind of build tension. So there's, there's certain camera shots and the way it follows certain characters. So you're seeing it only from their perspective. You're not seeing the wider picture. Uh, yeah helps to build the atmosphere whereas the sound playing with the sound in the first movie is how they built the atmosphere so that's one of the things i like what i'm wondering is how did john how did john krasinski or how did uh what is his name lee is it lee lee in this movie lee Lee. okay how did lee know to be quiet or is that was that just instinct uh when they're in the go ahead I mean, yeah, yeah. It, when they're in the shop and the monsters outside, I mean, I think it's instinct because even if a person's out there, you're like, be quiet, you know, don't make a sound because you don't want to, you know. So it's like, obviously, they are dangerous. So don't make any, don't do anything that's going to tell them where you are. I don't think he knew that they were hypersensitive to sound. I think he was just like, it was just instinctual of like, I'm in danger. So be quiet so I can hide. Did you think uh, did you think that this movie relied more heavily on jump scares than the previous movie? Okay, so I know we're going to have a difference in opinion here okay. because we talked about this a little bit when when you were watching the movie. I remember you texting mm-hmm. me about this. Right. I feel like the sequel has less jump scares in it. See, I'm the exact... Okay, yeah, we are going to have a difference of opinion because I think the exact opposite. I think that the sequel relied a little bit too heavily on jump scares, specifically the scene with the train, the derail, the, the derailed train. Right. Now, no, I totally agree that there are jump scares in it, but I think if you actually go through and count them, like actually like count the jump scares, that the number of jump scares is actually more in the first movie than in the sequel. I think that it's just that they're better utilized in the first one. So maybe you don't realize it's, it's a jump scare. Whereas the sequel, yeah, yeah, the sequel kind of devolves. They, 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 yeah, they, they feel a little bit cheap in the, in the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. The sequel felt like it kind of went back to what we've talked about with modern, other modern, horror movies which is you know that the the cheap jump scares that are you know that that like when like you said when she's in the train and you get you get like three jump scares back to back to back and it's like yeah you know that's that's i don't know that that felt cheap and felt like it wasn't earned whereas all of the jump scares in the first movie were earned so i think i think we both agree with that but i still hold to the fact and we can disagree on this i still hold to the fact that the first movie actually has a bigger number of jump scares it's just that you don't notice them as much because you're so wrapped up in the movie possibly because like a because the the jump scares in part two, you notice them because you you almost can tell they're coming, or they just feel cheap. They feel like they're they're just put in there for just the sake of having a jump scare, uh, like they got to yeah. make their jump scare quota or something like that. So, and uh, I wonder I will, how much 
I wonder how much of that is, see, the, the first movie was actually not written by John Krasinski. It was written by two guys, and I don't remember their names, um, but they, they wrote the, 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 the original screenplay, and then Krasinski worked with them to adapt it into what eventually became the movie. But the sequel was not written by them at all. It was written by Krasinski. So I wonder how much of it, the reason why the movie, the sequel, the jump scares are not as well utilized is because it's Krasinski now taking the reins, writing the film, writing the screenplay and not being, or being a little out of his element in writing horror. Maybe, maybe being out of his element, not being conservative enough with the, with the jump scares you know, but probably just mainly being out of his element. Um, yeah. But what I do think, what I do think was used very effectively was our, what was the daughter, the daughter being actually deaf, because there are those moments where um, the sound itself, her being like, it it, it it zooms in on her and you know, she's deaf because there's no sound. Like they they cut the right. sound on they cut the sound on the movie, but in the background you see the monster. In in fact, specifically, was it part two or was it part one? I think it was part one when they're in the cornfield and she's looking for her brother, but the monster is right there behind her, mm-hmm. but she doesn't know it because she's deaf. Right. Yeah, and you kind of understand now why her the father Lee was because she felt like he wasn't letting her go out and, and like go with him on, you know, right. The, to the river and stuff like that, because he was punishing her for the death of, of the boy. But you do get the sense that no, it's, it's probably because she's deaf, which means she can't hear when there's danger coming. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why, but we also do see that she can take care of herself even with uh, that, even even despite right. her being deaf, she can still take care of herself. Uh, but yeah, right. it is it is play- extra observant, right? But it is played really well in the in the tension of the movie. Is you know when you you can see the monster in the background, but she doesn't notice it. And even so, there's a like you said, there's a couple of times where the monster will disappear before she even notices it. So she never notices the monster there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I like that they expanded the world. So you get to see that, yes, there, you know, the, the whole world, or at least, you know, all of their area is in a bad situation. Um, but you find out that the monsters are not the only dangerous thing out there. And that's a cliche in monster movies and in these kind of like post-apocalyptic movies, but it's a cliche that can be done well. And I think it's done well it in can, this. Yeah, it can, it can work. It, it can work. And you're specifically talking about the doc scene, correct? The one that you and I weren't yes. sure if they're just crazy people or they're cannibals. Right. Yeah. Cause they, cause they don't really, you don't show them like eating anybody and they're not talking because they're not trying to make, you know, they don't want to make noise but they're just obviously dangerous people. And even Cillian Murphy's character uh, says, you know, you haven't seen what people have become. Maybe they're not worth Mm -hmm. saving. He says that to Emily Blunt's character. So, you know, there is kind of a hint to them being maybe cannibalistic, but you don't 
you don't they don't explicitly say it right because there's the scene where they essentially lay a trap for Cillian Murphy's character and I don't understand if they I, I, I'm gonna assume that they're supposed to be cannibals because they literally lay a trap for Cillian Murphy's character and uh, the daughter Reagan and it's you know because they they come up on this little girl at the dock and Cillian Murphy's character is like, are you okay? Are you okay? And she wraps a, a rope around his neck and then they capture them. And I'm like, why would they capture them for any other reason except to eat them, rape them, or just kill them for fun or kill them for sport or, or feed them to the monster? I don't know. But you're right. There's that, there's that quote. There's that line that says, you don't re- like, you don't realize what people have become through this. Like, are they even worth saving? Um, that's a heavy implication that maybe people have turned to cannibalism to survive because you just, you just, you just don't know. You, you, you don't know. And I think that's one of the, that's one of the magic. That's part of the magic of this movie and why it works so well is because there is a lot of stuff that's not explained. There is a lot of stuff that we don't know about this world that leaves us with questions. And I think that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. There is so many questions and unanswered. The one thing that, that I think works against that is it's not like there's a shortage of food. Like there's food out there that exists. It's just, they have to get it Mm -hmm. and, and killing a human being for food seems like it would make a lot of noise. And if you're trying to avoid noise, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I just, I like, I don't know that, that that's the part that it, I don't know what they're supposed to be or what their goal is, but that's also, again, just like the monsters, we're not supposed to know. Yeah. Maybe Um, that's just part of that. Maybe that's just part of this. Maybe that's just part of this movie. That's just not fully fleshed out. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What did you think of the Island? Them finding out that, that there's an Island with people that are surviving. I had mixed feelings about it. I thought it was like, oh, wow, there is actually people here. Like there's a there's a sigh. There's that sigh of relief. But then again, it's like I kind of saw this coming and it's a little bit of a trope. But um, okay, fine, whatever. And then, you know, there's the twist there that there's the twist in that the the boat containing the monster that they just escaped from you know, drifted ashore to this Island and then they have, and there's just one of them, thankfully, but you know, that it's not all paradise now because the monster's there. But I, I don't know. I I thought it was fine. Honestly, like the whole, it was fine that they found an Island. I'm glad they found civil. I'm glad they found some resemblance of civilization. Um, I'm kind of curious if it's been almost, it's been over a year so I'm wondering where they're getting their electricity unless I think, or is there a, or is there an actual like, um, uh, like power plant on the Island? I can't remember. Uh, I, I can't remember. I, like, I have no idea where they're getting their electricity, where they're getting things, but it is a decent size Island. Cause like they, they do drive around and they have like a radio station on the Island, uh, a radio, like, you know, an actual station that, that was broadcasting and stuff, uh, pre, the disaster and everything. So, so like it, it is a decent size Island. So uh, who knows? Who knows? So it's, and it's, 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 it's yeah. believable that they would have their own like power plant supply there on the Island. 
Right. Yeah. Um, I'm more interested of where they're getting fresh water because they're surrounded by salt water. Uh, but again, right. Well, they have, well, they we, have a whale. They, ha- they do have a whale though. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We do see them. We do see them, uh, drawing water from the well. So, okay. So yeah, because yeah. when the monster comes ashore and the guy at the well is banging the, is, is banging the, um, cause he's the first one to die when the monster comes, when right. the monster finds them. He's the first one to die because he's banging that metal, uh, uh, bucket up against the well. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing I will say negative, and this is the only negative I really have about uh, part two outside of the monsters, which you know is for both movies, but part two, my real big negative is Jaman Hansu's death. It is yeah. that we talked about how none of the death seems meaningless in the first movie. This one, that death specifically felt very empty and meaningless. Yeah, because they build, they they kind of because he's the first character we we kind of meet. Like he's he's obviously he may not. I don't know if he's in charge, but he's obviously one of that one of the pillars of that little community. And it just seemed cheap, and it seemed meaningless that he would die in such a chaotic way. Uh, yeah, especially. I yeah, I, I assumed uh-huh. he would survive at least long enough to get at least long enough to to help them get back to uh, uh, Emily Blunt's character and their family. Yeah, yeah. The his death felt like we have this character who we needed a character to show them where the radio station is, but we don't want the character to be there because we want to have this moment of the girls uh saving cillian murphy from the monster so we have to get rid of him somehow and so we kill him off it just felt like there was they had no they had no idea what to do with him and that's then that's what it felt like and i and so that's why i didn't i didn't care for that i did like the acting i liked his character i thought he was great jimon hansu is always great in everything that he's in i just think his death was the one out of both films the one meaningless empty death was his i liked that entire sequence was this because they start running i think it was part two i'm pretty sure it was part two uh the entire sequence between the the baby and marcus being trapped Mm -hmm. in the um i don't know what that is the boiler some kind of some kind of yeah some okay so being trapped in the boiler uh the mom evelyn uh, trying to get to them and be, and putting her own self in danger. And then um, what's taking place on the dock and the island. And, the, and, and they do this little wonderful thing uh, that all comes together at the end. They do this wonderful thing where uh, they're jump cutting to these different uh, scenes with these different sets of characters. And it all, and it, at first it doesn't quite make sense as to why they're doing it, but it all comes together at the end where they get to the radio station and they discover spoilers um, that what actually harm the, the weakness of the what makes the monsters dangerous is also their weakness. Whereas they can hear they they're very sensitive to sound, but because they're very sensitive to sound, they can't tolerate high like extremely high pitch sounds. It almost incapacitates. Right. It, it does incapacitate them. It doesn't right. kill them, but it incapacitates them. 
Right. When we learned that at the end of the first movie, and that's why mm-hmm. the girl wants to go to the island because then she can use the radio, the transmitter to send out a high high pitch frequency to let other people know that this is the weakness. Uh, so yeah, so that that uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's great, and for for being a very tight movie, like being a very short, like both of these movies were pretty short, uh, and to be able to tell three diverging stories that all mirror each other and come back together is really really good like like i think they did a very good job and that's very good writing uh, that they were able to do that because that's something that a lot of other movies have failed at is being able to tell multiple stories within the same story that parallel each other and some and and and, and inevitably one always ends up suffering for it whereas this none of them were sacrificed for the sake of the other one well it sounds it feels like they're telling the same story just from different perspectives Mm -hmm. yeah yeah they're telling yeah they're they're telling the same exact story but yeah it it really is it's it's it, it is i agree it's really great writing i enjoyed it yeah um, so I think we can, and I know this episode is going to be running long cause we just, we had a lot to say about these movies and we had, you know, we like, obviously we both really love these movies. So we had a lot of things to talk about with this, but I think it's time we move into our final thoughts and our Godzuki scores. So for anybody who is new to the podcast, we like to rate our movies out of five Godzuki's. Because uh, we like to embrace the sillier side of giant monster movies. And so we do that by using Godzuki as our yardstick, even when it's not appropriate to the tone of the movie that we're discussing. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, out of five Godzukis, how many Godzukis would you give both parts of A Quiet Place, A Quiet Place 1 and 2? And what are your final thoughts? It's a it's a unique entry in not just the monster genre but the horror genre. Uh, sci- I guess you could even throw this into the sci-fi genre too, if you because we don't know where the monsters come from. They could be aliens, but um, it's an interest. It's a really great entry. It's it's well done. It's unique in a lot of ways. Uh, it does. I feel like this movie does things that even some very uh, prominent, like very prominent horror movies don't even do well. Like, because this is a standout within this genre. And like, and I think if you're a horror movie fan, if you're a monster fan, whatever, you're going to enjoy this movie. It's well-written. There's a lot of, there's a, it's well acted. Like there's not a lot of dialogue in these movies. Like, you know, part two being the most dialogue out of the two, but excuse me, but for the, for its goal, like we talk a lot about on this podcast about the goal of a movie. And I think that the quiet place set out to its goal was to create a world where there's just a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of tension and there's just, and it's just, it's, it's a, it's an, it's your average everyday American nuclear family just trying to survive the chaos and trying to survive in a very uncertain world. And I think that speaks that that is, there's a lot there that we don't have time to unpack. Um, And it just works. It works for, it it just works. I mean, I I don't know how else to say it It just, it just works. 
on so many levels. And so for that reason, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just say, I'm just going to go ahead and give it a five out of five because there's not a whole lot. I don't, there's not a whole lot that I, I see wrong with these two movies. We can nitpick all day about, you know, character deaths and some of the things that are some of the plot holes that aren't probably really plot holes, but are just a little bit maybe inconsistent, but you know, you're going to get that in every movie. I think that this movie does what it, I think this movie accomplishes the goal that it set out to do. And that's just to make a very entertaining, thrilling, uh, very unsettling uh, movie. And I like, I, I loved it. I loved it. So five, so five, so five out of five. God, two keys. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that this is a five out of five Godzookies for me, too, because this this movie uh, like, yeah, there's a few little small faults that I find with it. Again, the monster design is the biggest fault that I have with it. But like you said, what what is this movie trying to do? And John Krasinski has said, you know, he wanted to tell a story about a family. And because he had, you know, he has kids of his own, he, you know, Emily Blunt and him have started their own family and he wanted to tell a story about a family, something that, that captured the anxiety of being a parent, the anxiety of seeing your kids come into a world that is dangerous, that is uncertain and see your kids grow up and become their own person in that uncertain world. And yes, it's heightened to an extreme way in in this because there's monsters and stuff in this movie, and and it, you know obviously this is horror in the horror genre, but that feeling of being a parent and being in the uncertainty of the world around you is a real thing. And I think these movies capture that it captures in the first one especially it captures the 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 feeling of being a parent and the uncertainty of the world with your kids and how they're going to deal with, with living in a, in a world that is so dangerous. And then the sequel kind of shows the kids blossoming into their own people, their own, uh, you know, uh, strong, independent people who can take care of themselves and take care of, of their, you know, their mother and, and everything. So it is just the story of a family that also has monsters in it, which is also a lot of fun. And, and they do, and it, they do the horror side really well. It, it It's not, it's not a horror movie for horror fans. It's a horror movie for the general audience to enjoy if they want something scary, but also is accessible and not gross and gory. Because it's this movie's not that, uh, so I think it's a it's one of those horror movies that is like it's in the horror genre, but it bridges the gap between what hardcore horror fans like and what the general audiences enjoy, and I think that's good. Um, the only other thing I want to say about this movie is I really like uh, how Cillian Murphy has gone from being everyone's emo boyfriend like 10, 15 years ago to now being this grizzled country af guy in <laughs> in this movie like that is a transformation i was not expecting <laughs> i had to do a double take to make sure that's who that was i'm like oh yeah that's the pinky blinders guy like that's celia yeah I, 
That, that's yeah. that's the guy from from uh from Batman Begins. That's the guy from Red Eye. Like like I just did not from Sunshine. Like I did not expect pretty boy emo to turn into what he is in this movie, and that was just not not something I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a surprise for sure. Oh man, so yeah, we we gave both of these movies five out of five. And so, yeah, that's going to be it for our discussion of A Quiet Place, at least until they come up with a third entry. And I'm with you on the side of I I want to see more because I really love these movies. I want to see more of them. But at the same time, each time they make another movie, they're running the risk of it being bad. And they're on, they did so well with these that I'm just like, I, I'm kind of scared if they do another one. But hey, that, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Uh, but yeah, we can get into our next segment on the podcast. And do you know what the next segment is, Michael? Is it the mailbag? It is the mailbag. What's in the mail today? And this week, oh, before I say, before I read it out, I just want to say, if you have a letter that you want us to read out on the podcast, you can send it uh, at kaijuweekly at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at kaijuweekly, and we will read it out on the podcast. Please do this because we always love hearing from you guys and interacting with you guys. And this week, our mailbag comes from... Kaiju Kim, our friend Kim Yay! and former Kim. former guest on the podcast. Uh, and she says, hey, Travis and Michael, just popping into your mailbag to remind you that you guys are awesome. And I'm proud to call you my, you two, my friends. You two. She's friends with you two. I guess. I mean, uh, you, you got to tell me what, you got to tell me what they're like. They seem like a bunch of great guys. I don't know. Bono. uh Anyway, yeah, Bono, <laughs> Bono's a little, Bono's a little bit weird. He's a little bit too radical for my taste, but he seemed, I mean, I'd have a beer with Bono. I, I probably wouldn't. But anyway, uh, uh, Kim continues. Got a question for you. Who do you think would win in a fight? Dragonzord or Mechagodzilla from GVK? Keep up the good work. Love Kaiju Kim. So, Michael, uh, as if I don't know what answer you're going to pick right away, who would win in a fight? Well, okay, so if we're okay, so if we're if we're doing if 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 they're the same scale, because obviously because the the Mechagodzilla from GVK is much bigger than Dragonzord. Uh, is I think it? Dragonzord is yes, because Dragonzord's only like fifty five meters. And uh, GVK Godzilla is the same height, if not just a slight bit taller than uh, uh, legendary Godzilla, who is 90 some meters, maybe. I mean, 300, he's he's 309 feet tall. So you're um, saying meters that I mean, that could be from here to the moon. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Whatever he's legendary. Legendary Godzilla is. Like 300, 300, I think 309 feet tall. Mega, Mega Godzilla is about that high, is, is about 
the same height, if not bigger. Dragon Zord is like I can't remember what the stats on. I can't remember exactly the stats on Dragon Zord, but Dragon Zord is much shorter. I will say that. So if they're the same exact scale, I, as much. If Dragon Zord is allowed to go into battle mode with uh, with Sabertooth, Tiger, Mastodon, and Triceratops, I'm gonna go with Dragon Zord in battle mode. But if we're just going with Dragon Zord by itself, I'm gonna have to give this to Mecha Godzilla from GVK because the because Mecha Godzilla from GVK has a much more extensive arsenal than I than I, I think Dragon Zord does. Dragon Zord just has. Let's see, missile, uh, uh, a drill tail, um, eye lasers. If you're going by the comics, um, but that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Um, whereas Mechagodzilla from GVK has a lot more artillery, like ar artillery to offer. So I'm gonna have to give that one up to to Mechagodzilla. Unfortunately, as much as I want to give it to, as much as I want to give it to my green my, my green boy uh, Dragon Zord, I'm gonna have to give it to Mechagodzilla. Yeah, uh, I think also the fact that Mechagodzilla from GVK is powered by some weird pseudo sciency power from the center of the Earth uh, also kind of helps there's it. That because, too. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's that too. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm on I'm on the side of Mechagodzilla as well. I I, I would rather Dragon Zord win. Uh, but I am on the side of Mechagodzilla because, yeah, uh, we see Dragon Zord lose a lot to oh, other stronger. I mean, we, we've seen Dragon Zord get his get his butt handed to him on several occasions, and pretty and Mechagodzilla from GVK is a pretty well built killing machine. Um, yeah, it, you remember it, it took it took the efforts of both Kong and Godzilla to take him down. Um, so with a with a with a with an overpowered axe and a overpowered Godzilla at to boot, but I don't know. I, I I I don't want to, but I'm gonna have to give it to Mechagodzilla, Kim. Uh, but thank you for asking because I know that our friend Kim is also a huge Power Rangers fan, uh, just like I am. Yeah, and uh, I think Kim was trying to uh, incite one of our uh, famous. Uh, arguments <laughs> like we had well, the last time she was on the podcast uh but sorry kim we both agree she's gonna have to try a little bit harder than that maybe kim should have asked us if jaws is a monster movie uh because that that would incite a debate i'm sure yeah it probably would it probably would it is um it's not so <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Kim, for sending us that. And if you want us to answer your burning questions on who would win in a fight or anything else, you can send it to us, kaijuweekly at gmail.com or at kaijuweekly on Twitter. And so the only other thing to do for this week's episode is to ask the trivia question that hints to what our topic is next week. We are continuing our American Monster Month. In fact, next week is the last in our American Monster Month for now. Uh, and this time around, we're not doing a movie that is set in America, but instead a, a movie that is filmed in America, which the other ones were too. But but you'll you'll understand what, what I mean whenever you figure out 
whenever you hear the question. So the question that we're asking is what Ray Harryhausen film did Tom Hanks call the greatest movie ever made at an award ceremony in 1992? Hmm. Well, high praise from the Hank man himself. I love, I, I love, uh, I about said Hank Williams. I love Tom <laughs> Hanks. I love Tom <laughs> Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> I'm more of a senior fan myself, but okay, we'll go there. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we're going to close out this episode by saying thank you to everyone for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Kaiju Weekly. All the links to our social media, as well as for the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, are listed in the description of this episode, along with links to the Henshin Men podcast, my spinoff podcast that is much, much less weird. Well, no, it's still weird. It's definitely shorter. We'll put it that way. It's it's weird. Be- it's weird only because of your co-host of the co-host you have on the show. It's <laughs> it's weird because we're covering a Japanese show from the seventies. That's why it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> And you can send questions, comments, or answers to our trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. We want to say a big thank you to everyone who has supported Kaiju Ramen Magazine so far. We still have a few issues of the printed version, the physical copy of issue three that you can pick up at kaijuramenmagazine.com if you are interested in having a physical copy. These are limited and they will not be printed again. So if you want your own copy, go and get it. Or you can just go to kaijuramenmagazine.com and get a digital copy if you want that because those are always available. Right, but you know, I was going to mention that uh, that, um, you know, they are getting very high praise on, from our friends, not, well, not just our friends from people who have actually bought the magazine, who have read it, uh, Mm -hmm. issue three. Well, those are our friends too. If they bought the magazine, they are our friends. Okay. That's fair. If you are, if you bought the magazine, thank you. You are now our friend, regardless of what, if you want to or not, if you want to. And I have a couch that I would like to move. So if you guys would just, um, maybe come over next weekend. Um, I have a pizza available for you guys. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. Why am I dragging this episode out? We're already like (laughs) at two hours. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta, and it's late. We gotta go to bed, Travis. Um, but, but yes, you know, issue three is, is, physical copies of issue three have been really well received. It's a fantastic issue. We've had a lot of fantastic people work on it. Just go buy it. Just just don't listen to what we have to say. Just go buy it. It's a great, it's a great issue. It's a great time. Well, do listen to what we have to say when we say go buy it. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. I screwed that up. Except for that. Go listen to me as far as going and buying the magazine, everything else, just figure it out for yourself. (laughs) and we also want to say a big hold on let me get daisy out of the way daisy get your butt your butt is too fluffy i can't see the screen daisy your butt is too fluffy you've got too much junk in your trunk she got too much badonka donk (laughs) um (laughs) we also want to say thank you to the terrific taylor ward the magnificent Nathan Marchand, the what's what, what, what awesome uh, the 
awesome Alex Cornette uh, and the dazzling Damon Noise and Shijir uh, for supporting <laughs> us on Patreon. Uh, we're going to try to do uh, Patreon shoutouts at the end of each episode uh, because our episodes are not yes. long enough. We need to we need to pad them out even more. <laughs> yes, and yes, we if need to you pad want them out even more, we actually we and we need to make more Patreon comment comment. Uh, we need to make more Patreon content, Travis. I know, I know. And if you would like to help support this podcast and get some nice bonus content whenever we get around to it, uh, check out our, I know that's bad, but please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash kaijiweeklypod. And there is actually one more thing that people can do to support this podcast, and it is by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review. And what that's going to do is that's going to put this show in front of other kaiju, tokusatsu, uh, modern monster movie fans just like you. And we promise if you leave us a five-star review and a comment, you just don't, don't leave us a rating. I mean, we'll accept the rating, but if you want to go the extra mile and actually leave us a comment and tell us how awesome we are, are, we will read that feedback on a future episode of the podcast. Yeah. And so to close out this episode, I'm going to say, uh, help control the monster population. Have your kaiju spayed or neutered, but do it quietly. Shh. Yeah, because when you start spaying and neutering things, they tend to make a lot of noise, and we don't want that because if we make a lot of noise, creatures will come and eat us. Daisy is rubbing her butt on my microphone. That's disgusting. <laughs> Just saying.